Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Because it's such a, a challenge, there's so much new stuff, there's so many uh, different opportunities that come with this, but in it all, like, we are still finding ways to worship, we're still finding ways uh, to gather. And so one of the things that we're doing today is, which is a family Sunday, a fifth Sunday, and so in the back is little goodie bags for, the, for kiddos if you haven't picked those up. And uh, if, you're, if you're watching online, if you've got kids around, I encourage you to, to kind of pay attention during the sermon here. We're going to kind of ask some questions that we would love for you to answer at home or there in the chat window uh, as well. But first off, let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard uh, this old saying, you shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? You've heard that before. If you're my wife, you'll, you'll somehow like uh, weirdly meld different sayings and she'll say things like you shouldn't look a, a, a gift duck off the back or some different things like that. She'll, she'll kind of mix those all up. But gift horse in the mouth, this whole idea that when you're given something, you don't check the teeth, you don't check the teeth, you don't check the age of this horse to see how bad of shape it is. Well, the first job I had at a college, I was a youth pastor at this awesome church in Illinois. And one of the perks, I mean, one of the absolute perks of this job wasn't that they were just paying me to hang out with teenagers and like have that extended adolescence period where I could play video games with them and call it ministry, uh, but they gave us a house. Uh, there's a parsonage. So there's a house across the street from the church that the church owned to house staff members. And they had three parsonages. So even though I was just a lowly youth pastor, they gave me a house. A 22-year-old Josh and, and Heidi move in there. It's our first house together. First, right after we got married, we move in there together. And we're walking around. And it's outdated. And it creaks. And you can, you can hear and feel the wind blow through the house because the, the rickety old windows and all sorts of things but it was it was great except for the basement we went down to the basement it was an unfinished basement and and there was such foundational issues in this basement right we go and we look at this wall and there's a horizontal crack and a v-shape from the wall where it's bowed out like it wasn't just a little crack a little like you could get up against it and scratch your back on this crack that point was such so pronounced they had uh, jacks and they had different things to try to secure it they assured me it was fine but even then i looked at this i thought you know this is a this is a good long term right this is a this is a very short-term fix and maybe you know what that's like Maybe right now, when you get back in your car, when you get in your car tomorrow, whenever it is, and you start the engine, there's a check engine light that comes on, and it's been on for a while, right? Or maybe you've got the little tag up, up above you, it says when you're supposed to get your oil change, and you're several thousand miles past that. Uh, maybe for you, you think about the, the ways in which you put off uh, different things in terms of saying maybe it'll just kind of take care of itself, whether it's a conflict or our health or our, our, our finances, our savings, our, our debt, things like that. I remember uh, in, in school growing up, there would always seem to be one kid in my grade. At the end of the year, we would clean out the desks. And there would just be paper stuffed in their desk. So they would clean out their locker and they would open up and just be this just like cons like just total solid wall of papers and junk. They just shoved everything in there. I, I think we have that that inclination, whatever it is or however it is, where we just kind of say, this problem will take care of itself. You know, I think we we live in denial, but I think in that denial it also creates this anxiety. We put things off as so we'll take care of that later. 
I'm kind of a, a serial procrastinator, and even it shows up in my dreams or my nightmares. Some people have nightmares where they're in a public place and they're not wearing their pants, you know, like something like that. I have kind of these recurring dreams. Well, my recurring nightmare that I have is I'm back in school for some reason, and I am going to class, and it's the day of the final, and either I haven't studied or I haven't even shown up to class all year, and I'm about to be found out. I know what that feels like, that anxiety, like we've pushed this off and it's finally coming due and we're going to have to face the consequences. We're going to have to face what's coming at us. So in this Sermon on the Mount series, there's this fundamental question, this fundamental question that comes up over and over again at the heart of these three chapters of Matthew, what we also read in Luke, and, and at the heart of this incredible sermon that Jesus gives is the simple question, how should I live? How should I live? What am I supposed to be doing? In a, in a world where we're full of anxieties and these tough questions and, and trying to figure this out, how should I live? And Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with this incredible kind of parable, this metaphor talking about homes and the homes and how they're constructed. This is in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. It'll be on the screen. It's in the app in the sermon notes, uh, but you can also follow along on your own there. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 29, Jesus wraps this up by saying this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not, fa did not, fa did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, maybe you've interacted with this parable before, this idea of two builders, two homes, and one that's built on rock foundation, and one that's built on sand, and one that collapses, and one that, that kind of withstands all of those pressures. And I've heard this preached on before and talked about, it, and usually how it goes is they say, well, the foolish person is someone who denies Jesus, someone who is not a follower of Jesus. And this is a, an admonition, a, an encouragement, follow Jesus, because that is the wise thing to do, which I agree with. That is a true statement. But I don't think Jesus here is talking about believers and non-believers. I, I don't think that's what's going on. Look, look at what Jesus has to say here. See, both houses are the same. Both builders hear the words of Jesus. The only difference is the foundation. I think Jesus here is talking about believers, one who puts the words that they hear here into practice and one that doesn't. Look at the whole Sermon on the Mount. He is talking to religious people. He is talking to people of faith. He is talking to people who are or will become followers of Jesus. He is taking their foundational faith and expanding on things. He's talking about the ways in which the Old Testament law, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament teaches that, you know what? Hey, you have heard it said you're not supposed to do this. You have heard it said that you're not supposed to murder. I tell you, you're not supposed to hate. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, I tell you, you are to love your enemies. He is talking to insiders here. He is talking to people who have faith. He's talking, I believe, to us. To those who hear the words of Jesus and then are faced with a choice, how will we put these things into practice? How will we live? How will we live? 
Like I said, growing up, I was a, a serial procrastinator, and in, in many ways I still am, but in particular with school growing up, I was the kid who would wait as long as possible to start the project, the paper, or the assignment. Uh, kids in the room, you got your little package, you got your notes, and I asked this question there, and I want to ask this question of those online or those in the room. What was that type of school project that you put off to the last minute? What was, the, what was the thing that you just didn't want to do, you didn't want to study for, you didn't want to prepare? Was it the paper? Was it, was it going through those worksheets? Was it some sort of big project? What, what was that thing that you put off to the last minute? Or adults, what is that project around the house, that recurring thing, that constant thing that you just never seem to get ahead of? Maybe it's laundry, maybe it's your workshop, it's a mess, that's my, that's my thing. Whatever it is, what are those things that you put off over and over again? Well, I want to take you back to fourth grade in my life. Fourth grade Josh Taney. I want to talk about one of my biggest failures and successes in procrastinating. This is me. I think it's in fourth grade. I'm not sure. I'm either five or 15 in that picture. I was a giant the whole time, right? And so I am a cool, cool kid. So you guys might be thinking to yourself, man, what am I going to do with my life? Well, I'm sorry to say you're never going to be as cool as I was in 1995. Like, that is a, just a tough time uh, for you. But that was, that was me. I think that's the first day of school. And uh, yeah, I'm rocking it right there, right? I got my Oakland A's Bash Brothers hat on. I've got my neon. This isn't the 80s when neon was cool. This wasn't like 2014 when neon made a comeback there for a while. This is 1995. I am a trendsetter, okay? I'm a trendsetter. All right, but let's, let's take that picture, keep that in your mind, and I want you to think about something you may have done in fourth grade that I did. I had a science fair. Now, I didn't build this last night. This is a toy of my son, Isaacs. It's a, it's a volcano, but when I think about a science fair, this is what I think of. Someone builds a paper mache volcano, and they do the, the baking powder and the vinegar, and all of a sudden, they get the foaming eruption right there. But in fourth grade, I had a science fair project. And I didn't want to do a science fair project. I didn't want to do that. So I came up with the most ridiculous, most simple, most lazy thing I could come up with. I picked three basic plants, the same one, three of the same kind of plant, a little potted plant, and I was going to test in real hard science here, right? Real just pushing the edge, right? I was going to test which fertilizer is best. Okay, all right. So one is the control, you just water it with water. The other two, you add fertilizer, and you're going to compare and contrast. And the plan was, is I was going to measure the height that these things had grown. I was, you know, really just doing some groundbreaking work here. Now, my teacher at the time understood the propensity of us kids to push things off. So there's all these kind of mile markers. You had to kind of submit this and submit that as you get going on there, that you wouldn't just check out until it was time uh, to go with the science fair. So I start the experiment, and honestly, it starts pretty well, right? It starts pretty well. I'm diligent. I'm doing this every day. I have a, da a, a data log. I'm recording all this stuff down. Until one day I, I was watering the plants and I had that piece of notebook paper sitting right there recording everything and I spilled a bunch of water all over it and I kind of had to go back and make things up and kind of assume this was the right thing because at this point I'm skipping days, I'm forgetting days, I'm, I'm creatively coming up with measurements to get to where I was, which is another way of saying I was lying, okay? So this is fourth grade Josh. 
And sure enough, the, the, the night before uh, the science fair comes together and is, is going to happen the next day, you've got to get the, the three-paneled uh, big poster board stand thing, right? And you've got to take pictures, you've got to decorate it, you've got to put your findings up there because you're going to set it up on one of those cafeteria folding lunch tables and give this in, as part of the science fair. And of course, the night before, I'm not ready. It's like 7 o'clock, and my, like, I realize I'm, I've forgotten everything. So now my mom is essentially doing it for me and, and putting everything together. And so the next day, I get there, and I set up my little booth and put the three little pathetic, puny little plants and my, all my falsified data and all that stuff up there. And the teachers come around, and they judge us. But there was also these middle schoolers that came around and judged us, these older kids some of which were really good friends with my older sister. And so they are coming around and they're giving little Josh a hard time and talking to me about my puny little science fair and all that stuff. And the, day, the, the science fair wraps up and it's the end of the thing. And I'm looking around and uh, they're about to announce the winners. And it's like the Miss USA pageant, they go in reverse order. So third place, second place, then winner, right? And so, and so we're going through this, I'm looking around, there's, there's a kid over here that's got like these big car batteries hooked up to this big thing, and then there's light bulbs, and he's like, you know, breaking ground with that. There's other kids, I think one kid like built a drone, this is like 95, it was like solar power, I don't know, there's all these crazy things, I got no chance. And so we're sitting there, and, and they go through the thing, we're all sitting in rows, and, and they announce things, third place, second place, and they come to the first place. And they say, Josh Tandy, first place winner of the fourth grade science fair at Wanamaker Elementary. I am shocked. Theory, unproven, unknown. I think some of my sister's friends like, padded, the, padded the numbers, right? So I won the fourth grade science fair. Okay, cool, right? Except here's the thing. Now I have to go to a state competition. I have to go to a state competition. So I'm going, I'm downtown at, at IUPUI and one of their big, like, uh, big, big, like, I think it was like one of their alternate gyms and there's tables and all these things from all over the state of Indiana, and, which of course, if Indiana is known for anything, it's groundbreaking, groundbreaking scientific work from the elementary school community, right? And so we're there and, and we're, we're doing this and, and, and now we've got undergrads, we've got like college sophomores, like bio majors, chemistry majors coming around and judging this. And they would come around and they'd say, well, tell me about your thing. And like, oh, well, I, uh, I got three plants and I, and I watered this one and then that one. And then they asked me some question. I'd be like, did you see the three plants? Did you see my data? I, I didn't have anything, right? All right? And, and this place was brutal because they would announce in stages who made it on to the next round, right? They wouldn't announce the losers, but here's how it worked. It was this big gymnasium, and there's bleachers on one side where all your parents and your like, sponsoring teachers were, and we were all there on the floor. And then, when they announced who the winners were, the losers would all have to walk up to the bleachers. Now, you can't quietly walk up those wooden bleachers, can you, right? So they announced the winners, and now, of course, I am in the first round eliminated. Like, it finally exposed the fact that I had put things off. I totally was not prepared. Because here's the truth. Pressure exposes our foundations. My little halfway falsifying da data, my little, my little things where I just try to get by, it was good enough to win me, win me, I think there's some shenanigans, win me the fourth grade science fair. But as soon as I got some more pressure in that statewide competition, I didn't have a chance because pressure exposes the foundation. That's what I think Jesus is talking about here. 
with the story of these two builders. It is what he has been saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That in the end, what is at the heart, the root, what is on the inside is exposed. Lust turns to adultery. Anger turns to to murder. We are called to love our enemies, not to seek vengeance. We are called to be salt and light. When we pray, we're not supposed to do it for an audience of people. We're supposed to do it quietly and humbly. Jesus says that the narrow path is harder, but it is better. He says that we are supposed to take out the plank, the two by four from our own eye, before we remove the speck of dust from the other. That our character matters, our integrity matters. But there's another way to illustrate what Jesus is talking about, a real-world example. In 1991, there was an apartment complex outside of Jerusalem that suddenly collapsed. It wasn't so sudden, they they weren't able to get everyone out, so 28 families are now homeless. But this apartment complex, in the middle of summer when it's not raining, collapses. There's no foul play, no terrorism, this building fell down. So there's all these reports, and they think, well, it must be shoddy concrete. Maybe they didn't reinforce it. Maybe there's something happening there. No, no, the, the, the materials used were fine. What they found was that it was a sewer pipe that had caused it. There was a leaking sewer pipe underneath the foundation that had been slowly leaking and slowly eroding away at the foundation. See, what had happened in that part of the world there's kind of, it's almost, I think it's kind of similar to here. There's this layer of bedrock. And on top of that is that thick layer of clay and then either loose dirt and sand. Now, this is kind of like us, kind of in our part of the world. If you dig down, if you have a project, you're doing some gardening, you might hit that clay. And that clay is that sticky stuff that sticks to the shovel that's really hard to remove. This clay is serious. Now, the clay there in in Israel is, is thick and hard as well. In fact, in Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, they describe the clay as like bronze. And when you were building a house in that time period, in Jesus' day, you would do it during the summer because in the winter months, that's when you would have all the rain, all the precipitation. In some places, high enough, you would have snow. And so if they're going to build a house, they would do it during the summer, in the hot, grueling summer. And they would be tempted, of course. If they're digging down, they would get to this place where it's the clay and it's, it's compacted and it's hard and it's a, it's a slog to get through. Of course, they would think, well, this is good enough. Well, that's what happened with this apartment building. They built it on the clay, and that leaking sewer pipe just slowly eroded until one side of the building began to sag and ultimately collapsed. See, when you're building a house in that day, particularly Jesus is talking about in that time, there's no guarantee of how deep the bedrock is, how much clay you're going to have to get through. You're not going to know about it until you dig up and find it. You know, I was made a fool at that state science fair competition because I didn't do the work. You know, how foolish do you feel when you finally take your car in to get service? They tell you, well, if you would come in 3,000 miles ago, you would have saved yourself several thousand dollars. You know, how how foolish do you feel in the middle of a test that you didn't study for? How foolish do you feel when you, you feel like you've finally been exposed and caught? It's so easy for us. It's so tempting for us to just check out, to say, I'll deal with it later. It's so easy for us to say, you know what? I'm not worrying about this today. Maybe it's because things are hard. Maybe because there's these really legitimate, reasonable arguments that, that say, you know, doing the work isn't worth it. Maybe because we don't see other people getting rewarded for, their hard, for the hard work, for putting in that character work. That's the thing that Jesus is talking about here. It isn't the stuff that gets celebrated. It isn't the stuff that's obvious. Because think about the world right now that we live in. 
How many of you are tired of having the same conversations? Pandemic, racism, violence, politics. How tempting is it? I'm going to go watch cat videos. How tempting is it to say, I'm going to just go turn on Netflix? How tempting is it to say, forget all y'all, I'm done with this? How tempting is it just to say, I'm done, I'm walking away? This week we saw another video. Another person shot, another, another black man shot. You watch the video and first thought whenever I watch these videos is I think to myself, honestly, is I'm really glad I'm not a police officer. I'm really glad I'm not a police officer because honestly, I, I don't think we set up law enforcement for success. And that's a personal opinion. But I think, I think ultimately, they're not just first responders to crime or disturbances or what have you or health emergencies. I think they're first responders for sin. They got to deal with our crap. And they got to deal with it first. And they walk into situations that are usually out of control. And so I have a lot of respect and yeah, I, I want to teach my kids that, that cops are safe. I do teach my kids that cops are safe. If you're in trouble, find somebody in uniform. I want to, I want to teach them, you know, when they're getting ready to drive, like this is, this is how you respond. This is what you do. You're respectful. You're calm. I want to do that. But then you watch these videos and you think, well, why did, why did that guy have to get shot? And news comes out, he, he had a knife in the car, he had a, he had a warrant out for his arrest, he had, 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 a, had a record, had a criminal record of some pretty disturbing things. But I think to myself, well, what do we do with this? Then this week, we see further loss of life and violent protests or riots or whatever you want to call them in Wisconsin. Last night, there was another person who was shot and killed during one of these riots. It's not, it's not going to get... It's not going to get better, guys. It's not just going to, we're going to wake up day one day, it's going to be good. And I don't know if you know this, but like 60 days or something, there's an election. I'm sure that things are going to calm down before then. And so we're in this spot, as followers of Jesus, as people, where it's easy for us to look at all of that and say, I can't do anything about it. And throw up our hands, push back from the table, and walk away. Or, it's easy for us to jump to one of those extreme sides that is quick to blame and quick to re retaliate. But over these last couple months, as we have looked at the Sermon on the Mount, I think I've been confronted with that question. How are we supposed to live? What, what are we supposed to do here? And I, and I think for me, what I keep hearing, and it, it, it's rather simple, but I think what I keep hearing from Jesus as I read this in my prayer time, is I have to keep following I have to keep pursuing Jesus. Not pursuing my comfort level, not pursuing my politics, my opinions, not pursuing those things. I have to keep following Jesus. I have to stay at the table. I can't just throw up my hands and walk away in frustration. As easy and as tempting as much as I want to do that. And I can't turn to anger or fear and simply join one of the sides. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts, he says, the blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace avoiders. He said, blessed are those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
The Apostle Paul, he writes this to uh, the church in Galatia. The Apostle Paul, a man with a record, a man with a history, a man who, before he met Jesus, served out arrest warrants, arrested fellow Christians, men, women, and children, and who knows what awaited them on the other end of that justice. But Paul has this incredible conversion, and he's writing to one of these early churches in Galatia, and I think he is writing to a church that is in the middle of being exposed because of the pressure that's being put on them. They're beginning to experience persecution, where they're losing jobs, people are being arrested, people are being driven away from the society and the culture, and Paul is writing to them, and he's trying to give them some some answers. So what do you do? How do you live in this spot? Things are getting hot, things are getting divisive, there's this conflict, there's this pressure, it's exposing who we are and what we're about. And he writes this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Listen to Paul. He doesn't say, hey, if, if you grow weary of doing good. When this eventuality, this possibility may come, this is what he says, when you grow weary, resist it. When you grow weary, resist it. He's telling us that we have to press on. We can't just disengage. We can't leave the table. We can't give up. Paul tells us that we have an opportunity here, an opportunity to do good. He is echoing something that Jesus said right there on that Thursday night before he goes to the cross. He says, the world will know. The world will know about me, not because my followers have it all figured out. He says, the world will know about me, not because we have, they have the best Sunday gatherings. The world will know about me, not because they, they, they have the morality lines clearly drawn. He says, no, the world will know about me by how you treat one another, how you love one another. I think that one of the things that we are going to have to wrestle with as people, as followers of Jesus in this time and place, is some of this heart character work. Because we are under pressure and our foundations are getting exposed. And I don't want my foundations to be my opinions. I don't want my foundations to be my politics. And I apologize if that's how this is coming across. That's not my intention. I want my foundations to be the gospel, to be the gospel. I think that one of the ways we can kind of check our heart, we can kind of understand where our hearts is, is by paying attention to this. How you treat people you disagree with exposes your heart. How you treat people you disagree with exposes your heart. That doesn't mean you got to roll over and die. That doesn't mean you just got to get along to get along, uh, you know, whatever, like, it's not about just just being passive no that's not what i'm saying but how we treat people exposes our heart and we're going to get a lot of practice in the coming months aren't we we got a lot of practice now and i think a lot of us are weary of trying to do what's right i'm going to invite the band to come up and they're going to lead us they're going to lead us in a time of, of communion and worship here As they come up and they get set, let me tell you this.